Job chapter 10. <clears throat> and we've been looking over the last couple of um, sessions at Job basically saying how much he hated his life. Uh, he said, my soul is weary of my life. The word weary literally comes from the Hebrew word to loathe or to hate. Uh, and uh, another word that Job uses, he says, I will leave my complaint. Uh, the word leave my complaint doesn't mean that he's, he's going to leave it to one side. I'm not going to complain about things. It literally means he's going to let loose. So it, it's as if Job has come to the end of his tether that he says, what's the point in holding back? I am just going to kind of let God have this um, both battles. And you know what's really interesting? Um, since I've started this study, the amount of people that have commented or contacted me about this, um, and some people didn't even know that I was um, studying the book of Job. And this is one book they really struggle with, because the question is, why would God do that? Um, it's just because God seems vindictive. You know, we, even though we have a glimpse into heaven, why would God do this? I don't understand why God, Job, would, why God would put Job through what he did. I don't understand why um, it's as if God takes pleasure from that. And I think in those situations, we've got to ask ourselves this, uh, or remind ourselves this. Forget what you don't know. Because they're saying, I don't know why God has done this. I don't know why Job had to go through this. I don't know why, uh, what the purpose was for this. Forget what you don't know. Come back to what you do know. We know that God is all loving. So God is not doing this from a vindictive point of view. We know God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. So God knows what he's doing. We know that God is not confined to time. Uh, he knows he's the Alpha and the, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So he knows the beginning from the end. So he knows what's going to happen during this trial. He knows what happened before the trial and what's going to happen after the trial. So uh, we know God is, you know, this has not caught God by surprise. We know that God is all-powerful. That if it was um, in accordance with his will, he'd have stopped the trial just like that. But there was obviously a purpose for it. And we know um, that God always does what's right. So instead of starting with what we don't know, I don't know why God has done this. I don't know why Job had to go through that. I don't understand why God would allow that. Let's always go to what we do know. Well, we know that God is love. We know he's omniscient. We know he's omnipotent. We know he's omnipresent. He was with Job in the trials. Um, you know, and it's, again, my view is that it's not Job that's the one on trial. Satan is the one on trial because Satan was looking at Job and God said to Job, hmm. he, he didn't say, hast thou considered my servant Job in order to tempt Satan to go after Job. God is basically saying, oh, you've been looking at Job then, have you? And that's the... The, the gist of what God is saying to Satan. So it's not Job on trial in, in that regard. In effect, it's God proving a point to Satan. And Satan is the one that ends up effectively being on trial. So instead of approaching things, and, and this is kind of what happens in Scripture, we say, oh, you know, I, I don't like the passages of Scripture I don't understand. Well, there's lots of passages of Scripture we're not going to understand. Um, you know, so let's go always back to the point of what we do understand. We know God's character. 
Um, and God is not doing this out of vindictiveness. Uh, he's not doing this out of spite. He's not doing this to punish Job, hurt Job, to, um, you know, to laugh at Job. We always go back to God's character and then we have an understanding then of, okay, even though we, Job, his friends, family and everybody else might not understand what was going on, we know the character of God. So therefore we understand uh, that there's a purpose behind everything that the Lord does. And what we've looked at in, in chapter 10, like I say, we, this is on the back of um, Bildad's vicious speech to Job. Job is basically then letting loose. He's going to leave his complaint. He's going to not hold back anymore. And through chapter 10, he asks a series of questions. Um, why does God afflict me? Um, verses 2 to 3. The second question he asks you know, is, is God limited by, uh, or is, are his actions given by human limitations? God doesn't see the same way men see. The way in which Job's friends looked at this situation was completely different from the way in which God was looking at this situation. Um, the third question Job asked was, is he going to re- um, return me to the dust? Um, and, uh, you know, Job wanted to know what God's plan was for him. Uh, he credits God with making him. He recognised that God was his maker. Um, but he was confused then as to why um, the creator would destroy the creature, as it were. And he, he, he asks that God would remember him. Um, not that God would forget him. And it doesn't mean that, you know... Oh, just remember me because I might have slipped your mind because we never slip his mind. But the word remember him is literally looking on, uh, with favour towards somebody. When God remembered Noah, God hadn't forgot that Noah was in the ark because God was the one that brought them into the ark. But when he says God remembered Noah, it just means he looked favourably upon him or acted kindly towards him. And I said last time that we often pray and ask God to do things which, because of his character, he cannot fail to do. Um, so, you know, oftentimes we ask him to look upon us with grace and mercy because we have a need. But that's his character, to do that for um, his children. And then the next question, which we didn't finish last time, was an extension of the, or an expansion of the previous question. Is he simply going to return me to desk is his third question. The fourth question then is... Has he created me for the purpose of destroying me? Um, and that's what Job asks in, uh, in verse 10. He says, Hast thou not poured me out as milk and curled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. And last week we looked at the wonder of uh, the, the, the um, human creation. We looked at the wonder of the human body, the wonder you know, of the, um, how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what Job is saying. They has to not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese. You have made me and formed me and, and we are incredibly made. Um, but then he says in verse 13, And these things hast thou hid in thine heart. I know that this is with thee. If I sin, then thou markest me and thou wilt not acquit me from mine iniquity. If I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. I'm full of confusion. Therefore see thou my affliction. For it increaseth. Thou huntest me as a fierce lion. And again thou showest thyself marvellous upon me. 
Thou renewest thy witness against me and increasest thine indignation upon me. Changes and, uh, and war are against me. For a long time, uh, a rich gentleman used to drop a penny into the hat of a poor beggar who sat by a church door um, in Madrid. Um, but this man was confined to his house with illness for quite some time. And when he finally um, returned um, from his ill health, uh, he walked past the, the beggar and put a coin in the beggar's pot again. And the beggar said, have you not a little account to settle with me? You have not been this way for more than a week. You owe me at least seven pence. The gentleman rebuked him and said, be gone. My gifts are arms, not your salary. I owe you nothing. I think sometimes, you know, when we pray, we feel like God owes us something. And when we think of what God has already given us in terms of salvation... If he never blessed us with a single gift from now until the time we go home to be with him, we would still have enough to praise him for all eternity. Um, forget about the, the gift of life, the gift of breath, the gift that you know we get to wake up every single day. The gift of salvation that he has given to us is incredible. And yet sometimes when we pray, we feel like God owes us a debt. God owes us something. You know, hang on a minute now, you ought to be doing this, that and the other for me. And technically, God doesn't know us anything. Uh, after all that he did for us upon the cross at Calvary. And what can happen then is if, if that is our attitude in our praying, I can promise you this, you will never be satisfied with the answers. Because if you're always demanding, always demanding, always demanding... You're never going to be happy with the way in which God answers our prayers. We will feel cheated or betrayed if we don't receive the blessings that we may have enjoyed in the past. Um, if problems begin to drift in our lives, then we'll kind of say, well, this is not fair. I don't like this. What's going on? This is not right. This shouldn't be happening. Just because we had a day free of trouble yesterday, that doesn't mean that today's plans are completely plain sailing. Um, but then we can kind of feel hard done by it. And we can say, wait a minute, God, you owe me. God doesn't owe us anything. Another reason um, uh, that Job was kind of asking these questions and was at his wit's end and was uh, frustrated uh, was because he just felt betrayed. Um, he felt the life that God gave him and the fact that God's love and care um, had preserved uh, his life in the past, he felt betrayed because he felt like the Lord was taking care of him only to watch him suffer. It's almost as if he's been bred for this moment. Um, and he feels like the, the Lord was ready to pounce on him at, at any time. It, uh, it's as if he was, you know, an, an animal trained for this very moment just to be let loose and then to be hunted by the one that had raised him. Even if Job had done nothing wrong at all, he still felt um, that he would be filled with shame uh, and misery and that he could do nothing right. Um, if he had a clear conscience or held his head up high, then God would simply just, uh, again, hunt him down like the lion would hunt his prey and just use his power to uh, punish him. And he just, he's at his wit's end. Uh, and I think... 
we've probably all been there at some point where we thought it, it doesn't matter what I do, I just can't seem to do right, you know, and do wrong for doing right, whatever we do, whatever step we take, you know, no matter how hard we pray, no matter how much we study the word, no matter what we do, we just can't seem to get a break. You just feel like you're, you're kind of, any of you any good at treading water? Charlotte, Joe's pretty good. I'm useless. I am absolutely hopeless. You know, that there's a, there was an RNI advert out and they said, oh, look, you know, don't worry. If you get into the water, don't panic. Just float. I can't float. So, like, I'd be panicking. Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you feel like you, you just start to tread water. You're like, oh, brilliant. I can do this. And then a wave comes. And you're like, I could tread water when the water was still. But when the water starts to get a bit choppy, it gets a little bit harder. And sometimes the trials of life are like that. You're treading water, you think, yeah, I, I, I can do this. Oh, I think, I've, I think I've just about got the handle of this. And you feel like you're just getting your head above the water. And then another trial comes. And another wave comes. And you've literally got to take your breath and try and start again. Sometimes life is like that. You know, we can blame God for it. We can say, oh God, this is not fair. Why, why have you allowed this to go on in my life? Why was I born? And we can get like Job, just literally say, I wish I'd never been born. But Job had forgotten all of the incredible times that he'd had with his family. He forgot all the, the wonderful blessings that he'd received as a result of um, business, property, material being blessed. And that's the case, isn't it, with us? When something goes wrong... We tend to forget all the wonderful times we've had and we just suddenly focus in on that rough patch. And that becomes the very thing that ends up defining us. And I'm thankful that this wasn't what defined Job. People will have tough times and people will watch their plans and dreams go up in smoke and sometimes they blame God for it. Believers will blame the Lord for it. And they'll say this is not fair. But again, when we come to the realisation that we don't deserve God's blessings, we don't deserve that every good and perfect gift cometh from above, we don't deserve that. Um, But sometimes we feel like we're entitled to it. And I think when we have that realisation and that attitude adjustment that we don't deserve anything from the Lord, then any blessing that does come away is truly a blessing because it's then not... Um, an entitlement. If people um, don't meet our expectations, how quickly do we go off people? You know, when they don't live up to our expectations, when they say something that offends us or hurts us, or we're quite easy to go off people. And sometimes we find ourselves doing that with the Lord, but Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. People are always going to, people are never going to come up to our expectations. But the Lord will always exceed our expectations. Job had to learn um, just to trust the Lord with his life and count, count his blessings. And, you know, I know Dad says this time and time again about, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. And that's so true. Because... 
You know, we can focus on everything that's gone wrong in our lives. Or we can look at the times that the Lord has truly blessed us. Uh, and, you know, when I, when I was doing, um, when I did my MBA in, in work, we had to do um, accounting. So I did an accounting course, and I don't remember much from it, so I would never be able to do anybody's books or anything. But I just remember the one side had to balance out the other side. That's all I remember. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, when we do our spiritual accounting, we kind of want all the blessings to outweigh all the difficulties. But again, if the only blessing we had in the, in the credit side was salvation, then the books are already balanced. Nothing difficult that comes our way can ever outweigh the gift of salvation. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. God has not cheated you. You know, I, um, I read a story, I hope it's true, I really do. Um, I read a story um, about a, a woman in America and uh, she'd been diagnosed with a, a terminal illness and the pastor went to see her and he talked about the funeral arrangements and she made a really odd request. She said, Pastor, she said, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. The pastor was like, what? Now, you need to understand, in America they have open casket funerals. She said, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And he was like, why? She said, well, every time some of my favourite services, you know, were the, the times when we'd have fellowship after church, you know, we'd have a, a, a missionary week or a revival week, and then we'd have food later. And we'd have food, and then the people would come round and collect all the plates in, and they'd always say the same thing. Keep your fork. And she said, that always reminded me that something better was coming because then it was time for dessert, it was time for the chocolate cake and it was time for the banana pudding and it was time for, you know, all the good stuff that was probably not, you know, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. Um, but she said, I, I always knew something better was coming. And she said, I want people to realise that something better is coming. So the day the funeral came and people were walking past her, her coffin and they were like, what? And the pastor could hear people murmuring and muttering. And he got up with a smile on his face and explained the story then that, you know, the reason that this lady had done this was because she wanted everybody to know something better was coming. And I think sometimes, you know, we take our eyes off the Lord when we go through these times of difficulty and our problems become so big that they overshadow the Lord. But... Nothing overshadows him because he's the source of light. He's the light of the world. So nothing can overshadow the Lord. And like the hymnist said, you, you know, we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, you look directly to the sunlight and for a few moments you can't see anything else. If you look directly into the sunlight and then look anywhere else, it's just like a, there's just like a flash in front of your eyes. If you look directly into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't see anything else. Because the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Why? Because you're looking into the, the brightest light that you, you will ever, ever see. So Job's question was, 
You know, did he create me with the aim of destroying? And we know that God didn't. We're created in his image. We've been saved for a purpose. And then the last question um, God asks is, why did he cause me to be born? He says in verse 18, Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Oh, that I had given up the ghost, and no eye had seen me. Wherefore, um, I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease then and let me alone, and that I may take comfort a little. Before I go whence, I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land of darkness as darkness itself and of the shadow of death without any order and where the light is as darkness. Job complains to the Lord about being born in the first place. And he told the Lord that he should have just been allowed to die at birth and then he wouldn't have had to go through all that suffering that he was enduring. Um, he said, I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the, ro- ro- the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease then and let me alone, that I may take comfort a little. Um, Job just wanted to be left on his own. You know, and there's a good time to be left on your own, and there's not so good a time to be left on your own. We recognise the fact that we need to isolate ourselves sometimes so that we can spend that time with the Lord. The, the Lord Jesus Christ did that. He, he came um, uh, aside, uh, or he came apart uh, and separated himself from the disciples, separated himself from the crowd so he could pray to his Father. And they're good times that we need that isolation. Um, but then there are moments where we recognise that they shouldn't be on their own. And we don't have to say anything. We just need to be that company that somebody else needs. Um, but Job is in the point where he's like, I just want to be left alone now. I vented. I didn't want to be born. You, it just seems like you've, you've caused me to be born so that I can die. Um, and he just wants to be left alone. You know, we all need that love and that kindness and that support. Again, you know, the purpose of coming to church is not to make the pastor feel good. It's not for you to get a tick in the box. You a place in church actually helps the person next year. And you might not realise that. Um, you might think that you were here for the sole purpose of, I don't know, not being shouted at on Sunday. Well, I was in prayer on Wednesday, so you can't shout at me. This, this part of the sermon doesn't apply to me. I was there. But you were purpose here, you know, is to bless the person next to you. You know, you, you will never be fully aware of what you were testing, of what you've gone through this week, how much that's blessed the person sat next to you, because you don't really know what they've gone through this week. Um, so you were purpose is to bless somebody else. That's, you know, that's what God wants us to do. You know, he's told us, um, that we are to have love one for another. Philippians 2, 4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We are saved and in this body so that we can be a blessing to one another as well. 
And you can really see where Job is here when he says, Are not my days few? Cease then and let me alone, that I may take comfort a little. Before I go whence I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land of darkness as darkness itself and as the shadow of death without any order. And where the light is as darkness. You know, Job's mood is as bad as it was back in chapter 3. And where he said it would have been better if he died the moment he had been born, transported from the womb to the tomb, and that would have been good enough for him. But he recognised the fact um, and appeals to God just for one last breath, as it were, to take comfort a little. Apart from this uh, example here, he says in verse 20, that I may take comfort a little. Apart from that, uh, word there, it's only found three times in scripture and it basically means to recover strength in Job 9.27, Psalm 39.13 and Amos 5.9 and it means to recover strength which suits the context of Job here, he just wants a brief revival before he leaves this earth that's basically what he's saying, he's in no doubt about his destination, he's headed to the place of the dead and um, he's going to that place of darkness and he just wants a little bit of revival before he gets it. And he uses four words uh, for darkness, um, which basically has a double function because it, it kind of describes the inescapable gloom of Sheol, the place that departed, as well as expressing Job's current feeling and Job's current condition. Um, We kind of get an idea of what Job's mood is like here at the end of this chapter. You can see that Job is he's pretty desperate. He's not held back. Um, you see how, uh, the, the type of dark place that he's in. Um, and you think, well, why, why would the Lord even put this scripture together for us? Because... You know, the amount of people that have, like I said at the beginning of the message, have turned and said, I don't understand, Job. I don't understand why God would do that. I don't understand. Well, what, what do we learn from this? Even from Job's speech here, we, we learn about the frailty of man. You know, our lives don't last forever if they were created to in the beginning, but because of sin, they don't last forever. You know, so that helps us to recognise the fact that we need to do something about that before we leave this earth. And again, that's the importance of trusting Christ as our saviour. The frailty of man is a sobering lesson. Even the best of men under extreme pressure um, can give wrong thoughts about the creator. You know, even lost people blame God for everything and we can kind of forgive them for that because they don't know any better. But even the best of Christians sometimes can say, God, why have you done this to me? The flesh, by its very nature, is at constant war with the Lord. The flesh and the spirit are at enmity with one another. And we recognise that we have those inner struggles and those inner turmoils. And sometimes our flesh really does dig in its heels Paul said that he knew that in him, that is within his flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Uh, And under almost unendurable strain of physical, emotional and spiritual trauma, 
Job just lets his feelings, just lets them out completely. But I think we can all empathise with Job to a certain degree because in some cases we've been where he is, not as bad, but I'm sure we could take snippets of Job's life and say, yeah, I, I've suffered that, yeah, I've been there, yeah, I've had those thoughts, yeah, I've struggled with those friends, yeah, I've had uh, those difficulties, yeah, I've had that concern uh, about what God is doing in my life. And our pain may be less than Job's, but we possess a grace and a resource that Job didn't have. Job did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Job did not have the complete revelation of God's word in his hand. Job did not have the the benefit of looking back to Calvary when he said, God, do you really love me? Job couldn't look back to Calvary and say, oh yeah, he does love me. Now he knew of it. You know, we, we get that incredible statement from Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Um, but he didn't have the blessing that we have um, to look at God's proof of his love for us. So the first thing we see is the frailty of man. The second thing we see is the honesty of scripture. When you think about it, you know, if the scripture faithfully records the failings of its heroes. Brother Andrew said this time and time again, you know, when, when looking at various passages of, 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 of Israel's history, if you were writing your story, would you put the worst parts in of your life? Or would you make people think that you were a really nice person from the very beginning? We, our story would be very heavily edited. But we don't have a toned down version of how Job felt. We get a completely open, honest account of how Job was feeling. And, and sometimes we can sit here and criticise him and say, oh, yeah, but if you'd only had a bit of faith. Hey, we've got the, the blessing of looking at the conversation that took place in heaven. Job hasn't. I'm thankful for the fact that the inspired word of God chronicles Moses' fit of temper. It chronicles David's adultery. It tells us about Elijah's suicidal depression. It tells us about Peter's um, continuous uh, repeated denials. Why? Because they're there for our learning. They're there to remind us that even these giants of the faith were human beings, just like us. You know, sometimes we put them up on such a pedestal and they were just like us. They had thoughts just like we did. They had failings just like we did. They had problems just like we did. We see the frailty of man, the honesty of scripture, but we also see the strategy of God. We see that God, in permitting Job, admits his grumbles and his gripes and his complaints. And Job voices... Something which we, we, you can almost brush past and not realise how incredible a statement Job made when he said in verse 33 of chapter 9, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Although Job didn't realise it, he was sighing for Christ. He was sighing for an advocate. 
He was sighing for an intercessor. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. And with that expression, even though it's grammatically negative, neither is there or there is not, testifying to Job's despondency, the hope is positive in its definition of what Job knew that he needed. He needed an empire. He needed a mediator. He knew a go-between that could lay his hand on both parties. And pull them together. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came to reconcile God to man. That's what Christ has achieved. So that every sinner has access to God. That every sinner, uh, what was lost in the Garden of Eden was restored upon Calvary. And that relationship that was broken is fixed. All because of what Christ did. You know, it's incredible to think that even in the time of great distress, God can still reveal incredible biblical truth. Job may have not have had the benefit of looking back to Calvary, but he certainly knew enough that he needed that daysman. He needed a redeemer, he needed a saviour, he needed an intercessor, an advocate that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we don't always realise what we have and sometimes we can take the Lord for granted, not recognising what we have in him. Uh, For centuries there was a a sizeable lump of rock lay in a brook uh, in the state of North Carolina And passers-by saw it just as a lump of rock and passed by on their business. Then one day a man saw it as a heavy stone that would be useful to hold open his cabin door. So he took the rock home and he used it for that purpose. Later, a geologist passed by the cabin and saw the rock and he realised that it wasn't a rock. It was a lump of pure gold. In fact, in 1803, it was the biggest nugget ever found east of the Rocky Mountains. It weighed in at 28 pounds or 12.7 kilograms. At today's price of 2,022 pounds an ounce or 65,000 a kilogram, that nugget would be worth 780,000 pounds. And it just held open the door. Sometimes people don't realise what they've got. You know, sometimes we take the Lord for granted... Sometimes we demand from him because we feel like he owes us something. We are blessed beyond measure because of what Christ did for us on Calvary. And if you know him as your saviour, then he has given us something quite remarkable. But we don't always feel that way because sometimes we feel hard done by Well, the Lord hasn't done this. Well, the Lord hasn't done that. Well, the Lord hasn't answered. He's not our personal butler. He is our redeemer, our saviour, our God. If he never sends us another single blessing in this life, it will make a blind bit of difference. He'll still be worthy of all glory, honour and praise for all eternity. Because of what he did at Calvary. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, for this privilege of coming around your word. Lord, I just pray 
that you'd help us to realise that even though things in life doesn't always go our way, we recognise the fact that it's not fair for us to turn around and, and just blame you and shake our fists at you and take you for granted, not realise what we have because of that incredible relationship that's been restored as a result of Calvary. Would you help us to recognise that we have a promise that you have given to us to never leave us and never forsake us. And in those moments where we feel like just screaming because things are not going right, help us to turn to the rock that is higher than I. Mm. Father, help us to recognise that we are able to call into you any moment of any day. And whilst we might not like what's happening to us, we might not understand what's happening to us, instead of blaming you, shaking our fist at you and being angry with you, could we just turn to you and ask you for the help needed to give us the strength, the peace, the grace that we need to face that situation? And if it's you were will for us to go through the storms of life, then I'm thankful that you were the one who was asleep in our boat. So Father, I pray that you would help us not just to be able to call on you in the times of the storm, but that we might have the peace that passes understanding so that we too can sleep during the stormiest times of our lives. So Father, I pray you just continue to help us in those moments of difficulties in our lives. We recognise that there's many people in the church that are hurting, struggling, suffering. And we just ask for you to lend a touch to each and every one that they might know you were peace and presence in their lives. And if they're not where they should be as a result of these trials, then I pray that they would be gently guided back to that right path and that they would know your presence with them. Father, we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.